Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God the World and Other Things. This is Season 13, Episode 285, Title, Hold On to Your Heart, Part 2. Subtitle, Finding Comfort in Times of Adversity. My friend, I tell you, there's just so many things going on that it doesn't even bear uh, the effort of going into details. But I can tell you, against the backdrop of everything that we're hearing and seeing on a daily basis, Today's podcast is very timely in dealing with finding comfort in the times of adversity. And I tell you, it requires more than common diligence to keep our heart in times such as this. When providence frowns upon us, and my friend, sometimes that is the way it is, that it appears that God's providence frowns upon us and blasts towards our outward comforts, then our heart has to look hard and deep to keep it with all diligence from expressing discontent against God or fainting under his hand. For troubles, though sanctified, are still troubles. And my friend, we've just got to be honest about it. In our humanness, we do not like to encounter trouble, especially trouble from the hand of God. But we're going to see that if it's trouble from the hand of God, we should welcome it. Jonah was a good man, and yet how fretful was his heart under affliction. Job was the mirror of patience, yet how was his heart upset by trouble. You will find it hard to get a composed spirit under great afflictions. That's just a fact. My friend, even the best heart is visited by the compressions of life that come from financial strains, job conflicts, family heartaches, child-rearing years of no rest and tension that comes from giving developmental care to a human that's new to the planet. I sit and watch my sons and their wives as they work with our grandkids who are being developed to become successful humans and adults. And I tell you, it is just extremely difficult. There's nothing easy about it. Social disruption, disruptive, troubled, and disorderly events, and cultural maladies. I want to show you how a Christian under great afflictions may keep his heart from finding fault with God or becoming despondent under the hand of God. As I said in the last podcast, some of these things are the dark providences of God. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I encourage you to go back and listen to the past couple of podcasts that talk about the dark providences of God. But by these dark providences, God is faithfully pursuing the great design of his electing love upon the souls of his people. Dear friend, to me, that is a marvelous thought. That is a beautiful thought of the great design of his electing love. In other words, love that he is choosing to pour out onto you and to me upon the souls of his people and orders all these afflictions as means sanctified to that end. In other words, for the perpetuation of his love in our lives. For those who belong to God, the afflictions that come are not intended to tear down and to destroy, but by the counsel of God, they are ordained as means of much spiritual good to those of us who are the saints of God. And dear friend, our adversary, the devil, would have us to believe that the afflictions that God allows to come into our lives are meant to tear us down and to destroy us. And that could not be further from the truth. Romans 8.28 reminds us that we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. They are God's workmen upon our hearts to pull down the pride and carnal security of them. And being so, their nature is changed. They are turned into blessings and benefits. Can you see that? In King David's magnum opus, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 71, David gives us important insight to the nature of afflictions 
for those whom God loves. He says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. When we accept the revelation of God that reveals to us the mystery of adversities in the life of his children, we conclude that we have no reason to quarrel with God, but rather to wonder that he should concern himself so much in our good as to use any means for accomplishing it. Paul could bless God if by any means he might attain the resurrection of the dead. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 tells us, Consider it as great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In the midst of adversity, how can we become angry with God, or despondent in life when we remember that our Father is about a design of love upon our souls? I love that. Man, we need to have a bumper sticker that says, Our Father is about a design of love upon our souls. I like that. All that He does is in pursuance of and in reference to some eternal, glorious end upon our souls. It's our ignorance of God's design that makes us quarrel with Him. Have you ever found yourself quarreling with God? My friend, a lot of us don't want to admit that we do it, but we absolutely do it. But it's our ignorance of God's design that causes that quarreling with him. He says to us in this case, as he did to the Apostle Peter, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. The first aspect of keeping our hearts is to adopt God's perspective on the matter. Though God has reserved to himself a right of afflicting his people, he has tied up his own hands by promising never to take away his loving kindness from us. The prophecy that Nathan spoke to King David It had not to do only with David's immediate kingdom, but the kingdom of God that was ushered in with the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, he said, The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. My friend, we have God's eternal promise of restoration and success through the midst of life's adversities if we've been grafted in, adopted into Jesus' eternal kingdom. As Christians, we have two kinds of goods, the goods of the throne and the goods of the footstool, immovables and movables. If God has secured those, never let our hearts be troubled at the loss of these. If the storms of life were manifestations that God has cut us off from his love, or the servants of our souls from God, we would have reason to be angry with him or despondent. But these things he has not done, nor can he ever do them. It's of great usefulness to keep the heart from sinking under afflictions to call to mind that our own Father has the ordering of them. Not a creature can lift a hand against us or spew slanderous, hurtful, injurious speech at us except by his permission. If it's God's will that we drink from the bitter cup, we can be assured that there is no poison in it. As the ultimate loving father, he can't give anything to us as his children that would ruin us. Both in Matthew chapter 7 verse 11 and Luke chapter 11 verse 13, 
Jesus in his kingdom teaching says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When God repeats himself in his holy Bible, you know that the statement is of hyper-importance to God, and therefore it should be of hyper-importance to us. Contrary to what the devil wants us to believe, we rest too near his heart for him to hurt us. Nothing grieves him more than our groundless and unworthy suspicions of his designs. Would it not grieve a faithful, tender-hearted physician when he had studied the case of his patient and prepared the most excellent course of remedy and medicines to save their life to hear them cry out, Oh, you've ruined me. Oh, you've poisoned me. Or to find fault because the person suffers pain in the operation. God respects us as much in a low as in a high condition, and therefore it should not trouble us so much to be made low. He manifests more of his love, grace, and tenderness in the time of affliction than in the time of prosperity. God is not like our fair-weathered friends who, when our life conditions change, when God's providence has blasted our existence, they may be scarcely found, fearing we may be troublesome to them. Instead, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, if adversity and poverty could bar us from access to God, it would be a deplorable condition. But to the contrary, because of the work of Christ on the cross, we have the promise that we can always draw near to God and cry out to Him and He will always hear us. The conditions of our lives can change, but we can find the strength to diligently keep our hearts because our Father's love does not change. Here is a question for you to think about. What if by the loss of outward comforts, God preserves your soul from the ruining power of temptation. If this is one of the means God uses to safeguard our core, isn't the adversity then a good thing? Can you see that earthly enjoyments can cause us to shrink and warp in times of trial? Because of the love of creature comforts in our lives, many have forsaken Christ in the hour of trials. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler went away grieving. Why? Because he had many possessions. If this is God's design, how ungrateful we are to grumble against him for it. During the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, there was a time that the hardened sailors in control of the boat he was on cast everything they could into the sea in an effort to save their lives. In ancient times of war, it was usual for soldiers in a city under siege to destroy the best buildings outside the walls in which the enemy may take shelter. Those who have suffered some terrible disease that infects their limbs beyond repair they willingly stretch them out to be cut off. In a similar manner, how can we gripe and complain to God for casting over those things in our lives that would sink us in a storm, for pulling down that which would assist our enemies or our adversary, the devil, in the siege of temptation, or for cutting off what would endanger our everlasting life? God is at work constantly saving us from those things in life that have ruined thousands of souls. Friend, we've got to remember that. At times, when we get under the circumstances, we've got to get our heads up and realize that God is at work constantly saving us from those things in life that have ruined thousands of souls. Rather than see the trials of life under the hand of God as punishment, we need to see them as the protection of God at work in keeping our hearts. It can be encouraging to our hearts under the weight of adversity to consider that God, by such humbling providences, may be accomplishing that for which we have long prayed and waited for. If we will slow down in the midst of the tumble and reflect, how can we find fault with this? My friend, we have to admit, if we know God, there have been times in our lives when we have prayed to Him that He would keep us from sin, show us the emptiness of our own way, 
that he would kill the lusts in our hearts, that our hearts would find rest, peace, and joy in doing things that honor Christ. I hope you can reflect on your life and and see times in your past when you've done these things, when you've asked God to keep you from sin, to show you the emptiness of our own way, to kill the lusts in your heart, to ask God to give you the rest, peace, and joy that's in him. And my friend, by such humbling and impoverishing strokes, God may be fulfilling the desires of our heart. He may be keeping us from sin by hedging our way with thorns. Our personal afflictions may be the very things that shine the magnifying glass on the vanities of our creatureliness. I tell you, we don't like that term, creatureliness. King Solomon warns us that all is vanity. The ways of man are arrogance, pride, narcissism, egotism, and deceit. Is it any wonder we see so many pastors falling into great sin and disrepair when the people who install them as their leaders admire and long for the trappings of success that a leader of their own making exhibits? Decisiveness, self-assuredness, financial success, and a sign of wealth and comfort while the world around the person is in spiritual decay and literally starvation is on them. We don't like to see ourselves as creatures of God, but that is what we are. We're all brought forth from the dirt. We're organic first, then spiritual if we're born again. We are created. God is the creator. The vanity of the creature is never so effectually and sensibly discovered as in our own experience. My friend, if we really want the corruption in our lives, those sins that seek to destroy us and make us less than, if we want them removed, then we have to have the food and fuel removed that gives them life that maintains them in our hearts. As prosperity gave life to and fed them, so adversity, when sanctified and used in the loving hands of our surgeon God, that's the means to kill them. What better method could the providence of God take to accomplish the desires of our hearts to find rest in God alone than pulling from under our heads that soft pillow of creature delights on which we rested before? In order to keep our hearts, we must jettison the expectations for God to do it in the way which we prescribe. We can keep our hearts when we see the design of God performing His perfecting work in us through our troubles. If you could but see how God, in His secret counsel, has exactly laid out the whole plan of our salvation, and my friend, there is a master plan of God for our lives if we know Him, even to the smallest means and circumstances, If we could discern the admirable harmony of his divine system of order, their mutual relations, together with the general respect they all have to the last end, then you would in freedom, I'm telling you, my friend, you would in freedom choose all conditions in which you now are. Providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds, which by themselves appear useless, but put together they represent a beautiful history to the eye. Since God does all things according to the counsel of his own will, and we should all be very thankful to God for that, of course this is ordained as the best method to bring about our salvation. We need to consider that by fretting and discontent, we may do ourselves more injury than all our afflictions could do. Our own discontent is that which arms our troubles with a sting. We make our burdens heavy by struggling under them. If we would lie quietly under the hand of God, our condition would be much more easy than it is. Our resistance in the sanctification process whereby God is making us holy like Him provokes God to afflict us all the more. Like a loving father who seeks to discipline a stiff-necked child, He'll bear down on us all the more in our disobedience in order to bring about the necessary change. Affliction is a pill. 
which being wrapped up in patience and quiet submission may be easily swallowed, but discontent chews the pill and so embitters the soul. God throws away some comfort which he saw would hurt you, and you will throw away your peace after it. He shoots an arrow which sticks into your clothes and was never intended to hurt you, but only to drive you from sin, and you will thrust it deeper to the piercing of your very heart by despondency and discontent. If our hearts, like that of Rachel in the Old Testament, still refuses to be comforted, then we need to do one more thing, my friend. Compare the condition we are in now, with which we are so dissatisfied, perhaps, with the condition in which others are, and in which we deserve to be. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.